This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Welcome to Wednesday night service at Faith Church. So glad that all of you came. We're gonna look through the word of God and find out tonight what God says about our finances. And so, if you didn't bring your Bible and you want to look on with us, just lift up your hands and our awesome team of ushers will get that Bible to you. While they're doing that, I want you to turn to Luke 15. And they're not gonna have this verse on the screen because singing that song, Abba, Father, the Lord just brought this story to my remembrance. And in Luke chapter 15, it's the story of the prodigal son, which is the story that we were singing about. And I think it really applies to what we're gonna talk about today. Because when we talk about our financial health, it's a touchy subject. It's a sore subject. It's a subject that's close to our heart. Often in our society, others try to let the money that we have or don't have define us. And others try to, try to make the things that we own or the things that we don't own define us. I remember I went to a, a private school and most of the kids in the school, their parents had a lot more money than we had in my family. And I remember feeling embarrassed about the car that I drove because my friends had brand new cars. Well, you know what? Now, the cars that they were driving are old news. And I, and I don't wanna ever feel embarrassed about the things that God's provided for me again. And so I wanna be content with what God's given me. I wanna let him define me. Your thoughts define me, that's what we said in the song. So look at this in Luke 15. This is the story of the prodigal son, so you remember the story. One of the man's two sons came to him and said, Pop, I know you're not dead yet, but I would like you to go ahead and give me my inheritance now because I'm tired of living in this dump, right? And so he goes, and here's what it says in verse 13. A few days later, the younger son packed all the belongings and he moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And so the prodigal son, he, he did stupid with money. He wasted everything his dad had given to him and that inheritance was supposed to provide for him long into his life and as a young person, he wasted all of it. But I wanna see how, how the master, how the father responded because this is exactly how God responds to us. All of us have made mistakes with our money. All of us have wasted money to some degree. All of us have made decisions that we're not proud of. There's not a single one of us in here who has done everything right. And so look at this. When it says in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So two things that he did. He came to his senses, he realized what he was doing wrong, and the second thing is he repented. He turned from it and he came to the feet of his father. But look what the father did in verse 20. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And then the father did things to restore the son as well. And that's you and me today. I, I can raise both hands and both feet and say, I have screwed up my finances so badly in the past 
but we have a gracious and loving and forgiving and merciful Father. And when you come to him, when you come to your senses, when you repent and you say, God, I've done it wrong, but I wanna start doing it right, he forgives you and he hugs you and he picks you up and he restores to you the things that you've, you've blown. And so that's the heart I want to, for you to have tonight. That's God's heart for you, that's God's heart for me, that we would come to a place where we come back to him, repent of what we've done wrong, and we start off on the right foot today. We can't change what happened in the past, but we can start today. So we're gonna start in Luke 16, which is the very next chapter. And the whole theme of tonight is financial health, that we would be healthy financially. And the way that we're gonna do that is that we're gonna find out exactly how God says for us to handle our money. And so we're gonna look all through the word. We're gonna start in Luke, and then we'll be in Proverbs the whole rest of the night. Uh, but while you're turning to Luke 16, if you aren't there already, remember that we've talked about whenever I taught on spiritual health a few weeks ago and whenever I taught about physical health last week, we talked about how God is the owner. It, that, just like the song sings, God, Abba, I belong to you. And do we just sing that or is that really our heart position? That God, I belong to you. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, it's his. And so that means that I belong to him, I'm not my own. We talked about that we were bought with a price and that we're to glorify God. And so if he's the owner, then we get to be stewards. We get to be managers. A steward is simply somebody who takes care of something that belongs to somebody else. And so with our finances, we're taking care of what is actually God's. We're managing it for him. And that's all throughout scripture and even in the parable of the talents, when the master entrusted his money to the servants, he left, but when he came back, they had to give an account for what they had done with his money. And that's the same with you and with me. So let's look at Luke chapter 16, and we're gonna read in verse 10. And it says, if you are faithful in little things, everybody say faithful. It says, then you will be faithful in larger ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, say dishonest then you won't be honest with great, greater responsibilities. So it's almost like the things that we have now and the things that we're going through now, it's like a test. God may have blessed you with a little or entrusted a little to you, and what are you gonna do with it? Will you be faithful with it or are you going to be dishonest with it? And that's the test because the principle is that if I'm faithful with little, I'll be faithful with much. Look at verse 11. It says, and if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And so the way that we handle our worldly wealth, the way that we handle our worldly money, you know this is all gonna pass away. Everything that we own, all of it besides people, is gonna pass away. It's not gonna matter when we get to heaven. But this is so clear. If you're untrustworthy with worldly wealth, with what you have here on earth, who would trust you with the true riches of heaven? And then in verse 12 it says, and if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? In verse 13 it says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And so does that mean that we forget about money, that we don't use money, that we have as little as possible just to get by? No. God wants to bless us and he wants to entrust money to us to take care of. Money's a tool, and we're to use it for God's glory, but we gotta do it his way. 
And if we don't do it his way, then we're not gonna be found faithful. So the key tonight, we have to do it God's way. And here's why we wanna do it God's way. Go ahead and turn back to Proverbs. And like I said earlier, we're gonna stay in Proverbs the whole rest of the night. Solomon wrote most of Proverbs, and he's considered the wisest man besides Jesus to ever walk the face of the earth. And so we're gonna look at his Holy Spirit-anointed wisdom tonight. So Proverbs chapter 10, and in verse 22. Here's why we wanna do it God's way. Here's pages turning still, so I'll wait just a second. In verse 22, Proverbs 10, it says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. That sounds great. Then it says, and he adds no sorrow with it. You know, I've come to understand that you can become rich a lot of different ways. You know, you could start a business that does well. You could invest in the stock market. You could invest in real estate. There's different ways in our world, in our society, that you could technically become rich. But when you do it out of alignment with God's will for your life, there's gonna be sorrow attached to it. You may have to step on some people to get up to the top. You may have to be dishonest. You may have to do things under the table. You may have to lose your integrity. But when God blesses, and when the blessing of God brings riches to us, he adds no sorrow to it. There's nothing, there's no catch. It's all good, it's all from him. And so that's why we wanna do it God's way because we don't want the sorrow with the blessing, amen? Okay, so we're gonna look at six principles for good financial stewardship. If you take these six principles, these are all gonna come straight out of the word of God. So this is God instructing us how to care for our money, how to be good stewards, how to take care of what is his, okay? Each of the six principles we're gonna get a scripture with out of Proverbs. So I wanna encourage you to write these down so that you can meditate on it later, so that you can think about what the word says and how it applies to you, how it applies to your situation. Because each of us has to apply the word to our lives. The very first principle, and it's first on purpose, and it's the most important, comes out of Proverbs chapter three. We're just gonna read verses nine and 10, and you'll pick up on this really quickly about what the first principle is. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part, or some versions would say the first fruit, of everything you produce. So we're to bring God our best and our first, and in verse 10 it says, then, everybody say then. Y'all are kinda sleepy, if I make you say stuff, it wakes you up a little more. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. But what's the catch, what do I have to do first? Honor God. And so the very first principle of good financial stewardship is that you must honor God with your finances. What does that look like? Well, in the book of Malachi chapter three, God makes this distinction and he says, you've been robbing me and because you've been robbing me, you're under a curse. And remember the Israelites were like, how in the world have we been robbing you, God? And he said, because you have not brought your tithes into the storehouse. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. He says, and then I'll pour out a blessing so much, so great, that there will not be room enough to contain it. And so we must get the principle of the tithe. 
According to, I think it's the Barna Group, according, yes, according to the Barna Group, only 21% of Christians tithe. Now, that percentage is higher than all the other statistics I've heard, but Barna's pretty reputable. 21%, that means that 79% of people that profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior are not obeying the word of God in the area of the tithe. And I know there's lots of different reasons why people say we're not gonna tithe. Some people say that's Old Testament, I'm under grace, all of these different things. And I can show you in scripture how how we are to be tithing right now, right here in today's day and time. Uh, My wife and I have honored the Lord with our tithe since before we got married because uh, a pastor at the church here, Pastor Matt, he approached me when I was a teenager, maybe I was in my early 20s, and he confronted me about this issue. And I had all the excuses too. Well, you know, New Testament, Old Testament. And he said, I wanna encourage you, honor the Lord and tithe. And so I took him at his word and I took God at his word and I began to do that and I've never regretted it a day since. God has blessed our family so much. And not just in financial blessings. God has given us what we need for life and for godliness. He's taken care of us, he's protected us. He's provided for us when there didn't seem to be any other way. And God is good. And he says, test me in this. Honor God with your money and test him in this area. So what is the tithe, just to be basic? Tithe is the first 10% of all the money you bring in. The Bible says you're to bring it to the storehouse. You're not giving it, you're not being generous with it because it already belongs to God, you're just bringing it back to him. And when you honor him first, and when you honor him with your best, you pull, that's the first thing that comes out when you get paid, the Lord will bless you. And so I think that oftentimes we get this idea that if I obey God with my tithe, then that's it. That's all I need to do. It's like the magic bullet. If I just start tithing, everything's gonna be fine and I'm gonna have a ski boat in the driveway by next week. That's not it at all. Okay, so this is principle one. If you don't get this principle right, nothing else will be right. But just because you get this principle right does not mean that everything else will be right, okay? The, the tithe is the most important. It's honoring God, it's obeying God. But we also have to be good stewards of what he's placed in our hands. We have to steward the 90% well, because it's still his. He just told us where to put the first 10%. And with the other 90% that we're taking care of, his, his resources, his money, we need to be good stewards, okay? So the very first principle, we're gonna honor God. The second principle is that we need to live on a plan. This is called a budget. Everybody say budget. Some of you couldn't do it. Your mouth's like tightened up and you couldn't say it. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, I don't wanna write down a budget because I would feel really restricted if I did that. Or I don't wanna write a budget because I'm afraid what I'll find, right? Well, ignorance is not bliss when it comes to our finances. Okay? A budget is a scary thing maybe, but you know what, it's so simple. It's, just, it's like a game plan for your money. It's like if you're the coach and your paycheck and all your money and your bills, they're the players on, on your team, and you're just getting in a huddle and you're telling them, okay, when this one comes this way, you're gonna do this and go that way, you're gonna cut this way. It's, just, it's like a team huddle. You're just telling your money what to do. I personally love the way that John Maxwell says it. He says that a budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. You ever get to a place in your life where you, 
you get your paycheck and then it's a couple weeks later and the entire thing is gone and you're like, what happened? Where did my paycheck go? I'm sure I probably spent it. Maybe somebody stole it. I don't know, but it's not, it's not here anymore. So the budget avoids all that because when you have a budget, it's just a plan, that's all it is, and it's telling your money this is what you're going to do instead of wondering where it went. You're being a good manager. A good manager tells its resources what to do, and that's what you're doing. And so uh, I'm gonna read a testimony to you. Yanita Vieira, she goes to our church, and she is an awesome young woman of God. And uh, two years ago, we taught about this same thing in our Thrive series in 2021, and she took this particular sermon to heart, and so I asked her to please record a video testimony and we were gonna do like, it was gonna be blurry and then it was gonna focus in on her face and the lighting would be real dark and moody and everybody was gonna cry probably. And she said, I am not standing in front of a camera. So she typed it up and I'm gonna read it, second best thing. Uh, but this is, this is what she's gone through in the last couple years and it's really incredible, so listen to this. So it's about a year ago, I listened to the Thrive Financial Series with Pastor Evan. Everything he said, I could relate. I would run my credit card just to get good gifts for Christmas, but then I would have the joy of paying the credit card company three times back. I would take a payday loan out only for it to last six years because every time I would close, be close to paying it off, they would say, well, keep your payment, plus here's $1,000 more, and we can just reset your loan for another year. Of course, I continually fell for that one. So after hearing the message, I was really just like, okay, let's start the awful B word budget. Let me tell you, my money, let me tell my money where it's going to go. The only thing I did right was I have always been a tither. So I knew that once that was at the top of my budget, then my regular bills and needs, and finally once. I found out quickly that I was paying $800 a month in just payments. So I got a part-time job. I told myself, once you pay something off, make sure they lose my information and not get sucked back in. And little by little, I saw those numbers quickly go down. I continued to update Pastor Evan, and quickly 5,000 was 1,600, then 500, and it felt amazing. Every time I was able to remove a bill from my budget, and when we purchased our house earlier this year, it felt so good to say no debt besides our car payments. And now, I'm like, this budget didn't just save me, but saved my family time. Because what I was paying in payments was like a part-time job income. Now I'm able to purchase things and not have to make payments, and now I'm able to save towards family vacations because I budget. God has blessed me tremendously, but I also have to do my part in budgeting. Isn't that awesome? You may say amen or oh me, that's what pastor likes to tell us. But Yanita, I've seen her family be blessed. And when they purchased a house earlier this year, it was an incredible thing for their family but she had to make sacrifices and she had to make cuts and she had to kind of wake up to the fact of what, what was happening in her personal finances. But she made a choice. I wanna honor God with my money. I'm gonna put that tithe at the top and then I've gotta live on a plan. So principle number one, you honor God. Principle two, live on a plan. You have a budget. Principle three, you gotta live on less than you make. Ooh, that one hurts. So turn to Proverbs chapter 21. While you're turning there, a couple more statistics. You guys know I used to be a math teacher. We're gonna get some numbers in here somehow. 
Okay, according to a survey done by Lending Club, 61% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, meaning there's no margin in their lives. They get paid, two weeks later, all of it's gone, they get paid again, okay? 61% of all Americans. That includes, and this is more shocking to me, 40% of high-income earners are also living paycheck to paycheck. To qualify for a high-income earner, you have to make more than $250,000 a month. A year, I'm sorry, a year. And $250,000 a year still living paycheck to paycheck. What is that? They're not living on less than they make. You have to live on less than you make so that there's a margin in your life. If you spend everything you make, then every month, if anything comes up, how are you gonna take care of it? How are you gonna save for your next house or car or whatever it is? If there's no margin in your life. So look at this, Proverbs 21, 20. 250,000 a month would be nice. Okay, Proverbs 21, 20, it says, the wise have wealth and luxury. In the New King James Version, I believe is the translation, it says, in the house of the wise there are stores of choice food and oil. And it says at the end, but fools spend whatever they get. Okay, I hope you brought your steel-toed boots. I'm gonna step on your toes, that's what I meant by that. The Bible says that when I spend everything I get, then I'm acting like a fool. Now, this, the 61% of Americans, this is people living in poverty all the way to people who are very well off, spending everything they make. You know how you combat this? Is you get on that budget, you live on a plan, and you stick with your plan. I've gotta live on less than I make. Uh, according to a survey by Bankrate, 57% of Americans, almost as many as, as the other, could not cover a $1,000 emergency without going into debt to do it. And you guys know Murphy's Law. Your air conditioner may go out in the summer, your car might blow a tire, you may have, fall and break a wrist and have some medical bills. Emergencies happen. We've gotta have margin in our lives so that when those things come up, it's not a disaster or a catastrophe. It's just an inconvenience. See, if I've got money set aside for emergencies, then when an emergency comes up, I'm not dealing with the emergency and panicking about how I'm gonna pay for it because I, I chose to have margin in my life, chose to live on less than I make because the Bible says when I do that, I'm wise and I chose to be on a plan. So number one, we gotta honor God. Number two, we gotta live on a plan, we gotta have a budget. We have to live on less than we make. Number four, we gotta get out of debt. Turn to Proverbs 21, oh, I'm sorry, 22, seven. Proverbs 22, seven. So debt causes stress and it causes anxiety because you have those thoughts hanging over your head that I owe somebody something. And if something comes up and I'm not able to pay for the thing that I owe for, then they get to come get it. For instance, if I'm making payments on my car and I don't make my car payment for a couple months, they send the tow truck to come bring it back to the car lot. And if I'm making payments on my house, if I have a mortgage and I don't make my mortgage payment for a couple of months, then they're sending somebody to kick me out of the house. And if I financed my furniture or my washer and my dryer or whatever it is, 
and I'm not able to make the payments on time, then somebody comes to get it. And that stress, even if it's just subconscious, that stress, that anxiety, even at a low level, it begins to wear at us. And so look at what it says in Proverbs 22, verse seven. It says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. And a lot of translations say that the borrower is a slave to the lender. It changes it a little bit. That when we owe people money, we are a slave to pay that back. But imagine what your life could be like if your paycheck all came in, you got to spend it for what you wanted to or what you needed to. Imagine, just think you know, briefly about the money that you bring in and the payments that you make, whether it's you know, couches that you financed and a car payment and maybe a couple of credit cards and a student loan. Imagine the money that you could keep and use if you didn't pay any payments. And you start to see, how could I, how could I use what God's put in my hand when it wasn't all going towards something that happened in the past? You know, I bought a car two years ago and I have two or three more years left to pay on it. Or I bought some furniture and I didn't quite meet the zero interest quota so now I'm paying back interest. And you know, all of these things happen. So we've gotta get out of debt because you, your best wealth building tool is your income and when your income isn't tied up in payments, there's so much more you can do. So honor God, live on a plan, get a budget, live on less than you make, get out of debt. Principle number five is we're gonna save for the future. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs 13, 22. We wanna save for the future. If we are gonna live on less than we make, meaning I'm not spending everything that I bring in, then I'm gonna have some margin in my life, and with some of that margin, we can save for the future. So Proverbs 13, 22. It says, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. I really like that second part. All the sinner's wealth that can come to all of us, I'm, I'm for it, let's do it. But a good man, in some versions say a righteous man, they leave an inheritance for their children's children. So I'm gonna read two different scenarios to you, and you just think about which one of these scenarios you would rather have your life look like when you get to the end of it? So the first scenario, you get to 65 years old. Now this is not as far-fetched for some of you as it is for others, okay, just kidding. You get to 65 years old and you have to continue working a nine to five job because the little money that you get from Social Security is not enough to live on. You never saved for retirement because you thought you would always want to work and never thought much ahead. When you were younger, you spent your entire paycheck every month, mostly on frivolous things that gave you temporary enjoyment, but now you have nothing to show for it. When you die, your children have to scrap money together and sell the possessions you owned in the midst of their mourning just so they can afford a modest funeral for you. Your children picked up on your poor financial management and are headed down the same path that you ended up on. That's a little bleak, right? Here's a second scenario. You've been putting 15% of your paycheck into a retirement account since you were in your 20s. You made sacrifices like driving used cars, making your coffee at home, and minimizing your eating out so that you could afford to do that. 
Little by little, your retirement fund grew until you turned 65 when you were able to retire from your job. With the extra time on your hands, you were able to travel with your spouse, visit your children and grandchildren for holidays, and meet younger men and women who were struggling and needed someone to talk to. You were able to volunteer with your time and do what you loved. You even got time to work on that new hobby that you've always dreamed of starting. When you die, your funeral arrangements are already prepped and paid for, so your children don't have to worry about anything. You leave each one of them, along with your grandchildren, a large sum of money with which they're able to pay off their houses, send their, grandchildren or their children to the college of their dreams, and live out the life that God has called them to. Not only that, but the biblical financial wisdom that you taught your children when they were younger helped them to be wise and intentional with their money, and they in turn taught those principles to their children. You started a legacy of good financial stewardship that will last for generations, and the blessings of God are evident in your family tree. See, the thing about those two situations is that it's, it's our choice. But you cannot make that choice at the end. You can't do whatever you want all your life long and then get to the end and say, I wanna leave an inheritance to my children's children. There's nothing to give at that point. So we gotta start today. Whatever age you're at, whatever stage of life you're at, just like the prodigal son, if you've been frivolous or wasteful with your living, if you haven't saved for the future, if you're getting close to 65 and your retirement account still says zero, it's not too late to start in all of these areas to be able to leave an inheritance to your children's children. And like I said, that's not just an inheritance of money. That's an inheritance of wisdom from God. All of us earn different amounts of money. That's not what it's about. It's about living on less than I make now, making sacrifices now, so that I can be set up for success in the future. My sacrifice today gives me success in the future. But when I take the pleasure now, I have to pay for it in the future. So we gotta save for our future. Number six, the last principle of financial, good financial stewardship is we need to be generous. And in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and he says, I'm gonna bless you and then all the nations of the earth are gonna be blessed through you. He basically looks at Abraham and says, hey man, I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing. And I want you to know that God blesses us to be a blessing too. Turn to Proverbs 19. That's our last scripture for tonight. Proverbs 19, verse 17. I wanna point out again, when you bring your tithe, you are being obedient and you will be blessed, but you're not being generous. Bringing your tithe to the storehouse is not generosity. Thinking of that as generosity would be kinda like if I borrowed a screwdriver from you, and let's say I borrowed Philip's screwdriver, a Philip Phillips screwdriver, incredible. And I, I brought it, I used it, and I did what I needed to do, and then after I was done, I got some really nice gift wrapping paper and I wrapped up his screwdriver and I put a bow on it and I put a note, a little card that said to Philip from Evan with a heart and I gave it to Philip and watched with anticipation as he unwrapped it and then I expected a thank you note from him. That's, that's what it's like thinking that bringing your tithe is being generous. 
Gotta do it, you have to be obedient. It's what we need to do as believers, but it's not generous. And so what is generosity? Well, let's think of some other scenarios. How great would it be when you hear that a single mother had her power shut off, that the Lord could use you to pay for her next year of bills? How great would it be if there was a family of six who couldn't afford a large enough vehicle for their whole family to fit in, and you could be the one to provide a van for them? Actually, our teenagers are at camp right now. And we came to you guys, the church, several, a couple months ago, and asked you to, to give towards the scholarship fund so that our teenagers could go to camp. Because when they go to camp, they get on fire for God. And you'll see it on Sunday. They're gonna come back with a new passion and they're gonna spark all of us and it's gonna be incredible. But we asked you to give and several of you gave and donated your money towards our kids being able to go to camp. One of the men sitting in the room tonight, he came to me and he said, what's the balance owed? I was like, for who? He said, for everybody. And so that man gave almost $3,000 towards our kids being able to go to camp. And when they went to camp, yeah, that's a, you can absolutely clap for that. When the kids left for camp on Monday morning, you had donated more than their balance. And so Pastor Sidney was able to take that money and bless some of them with meals. You were good to those kids. And they're gonna get touched by God because of it. It was a kingdom investment. Just like we learned about in Luke, that we're faithful with our worldly wealth and now God's gonna entrust us with true kingdom riches. That's what it is to be generous, to take care of others, to go above and beyond, to be a blessing. The, the Proverbs also say that he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And I can refresh others by being generous, by taking care of their needs. But I can't do that. And I can't get to that place where I'm able to be generous like that unless I get my personal needs under control, unless I start living on a budget, unless I start honoring God first, unless I start living on less than I make, unless I start preparing and planning for my future, saving for my future, unless I get out of debt. And when I do those things, when I take the steps and I do what I'm supposed to do, and I'm a good steward, and I stumble sometimes, and I make mistakes, but I get back up, then God's gonna be able to, to say when we get to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. Go ahead and stand up on your feet with us. I'm gonna pray over you, and then I have a really cool announcement. Lord God, we recognize that you care about every detail of our lives. And even this touchy, intimate subject of our personal finances, you care about it, God. And I thank you that you've entrusted to each one of us your riches, your wealth. So help us, God. Help us with our finances to honor you, to be obedient, and to apply these principles. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each one of us and tell each one of us what we're to do next. What steps do we take next, God? Lord, you're so gracious to us. Thank you that you, you run to us and pick us up even when we just come to our senses and repent. So we lay our lives before you and we thank you that you love us and that you invite us to cast our cares on you, God, because you care for us. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.